Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by PlanScope. PlanScope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using PlanScope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 104 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Eric Davis. Hey. Curtis McHale. Good day. Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and we have a special guest this week, and that is Amos King. Good afternoon. So, since you haven't been on the show before, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Well, you said my name is Amos King. I freelance under Binary Noggin is the name of the company, and have been bouncing around doing Agile development and Ruby rescue projects mainly for since August 24th of last year. So relatively recently uh, headed out on my own. Cool. Now, the topic we have here is freelancing behind the scenes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Did you, I don't know, were you freelancing before you actually went freelance? Were you moonlighting or something? Or uh, I did do some moonlighting. I, I would say very little. I think uh, my biggest year of side work, I think I made like $5,000 and most of that wasn't profit. It was um, t- turn back into buying a, a laptop in order to do that work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I did that for a little while and I really, my big thing was I did not want to start a company by being in debt. I'm, I wanted to start out my freelancing career, not working with somebody else without having debt over my head. So I spent a lot of time trying to get rid of that so that I could move forward and, and have a little more freedom with my time. Well, that makes sense. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about how you got started freelancing then. Originally was a a friend in from college called me up and he was working on some insurance software and need a little help on the side. And that's how I, I first started heading out to work this way. And I always kind of wanted to start my own company and do my own thing. Uh, I'm pretty opinionated and I, I don't mind telling people my opinions. And I, I think that I have a good way to develop software and I wanted to start, I was already doing consulting and I wanted to be able to choose my clients instead of somebody telling me who my clients were going to be. And then over the last couple of years, I had since 2006, I had been commuting 108 miles each way and was getting tired of that. And I loved where I worked before, but I had to I had to end it. And I had gotten to the point where all of my debt from college and, and bad choices in the past had had started to go away. And was like, now it's time to to start branching out. And an old customer about the same time I was thinking about it came and said, hey, I heard you left. I could really use your help. And it just couldn't have come at a better time. It was the first day of going out completely on my own was my 32nd birthday. And 
I was just really happy and really excited. And as soon as I got ready to get started, he said, oh, yeah, and we need you to get some other people. So now I have three subcontractors working with me, too. Oh, cool. I think the hardest part of getting started after, you know, I felt like I had the financial thing underway was understanding contracting and getting a lawyer and accounting for the first time and healthcare because I'd never dealt with any of that. Why don't we talk about some of that? So how did you go about uh, figuring that stuff out? I mean, did you talk to somebody who had already been doing it or did you kind of muddle your way through it? A little bit of both. So I started muddling my way through contracts on my own and just trying to read a lot of contracts that people have graciously put out on the internet for others to use. And then I, I started talking to people in the community that I know that own businesses that deal with contracts, mostly like engineers, like structural engineers and things like that. There's a lot of them around here because there's an engineering school right down the road. So I talked to some of those guys and they actually pointed me to a lawyer. And so my first contract, I ended up taking to a lawyer and sitting down with him. But yeah, at first it was a lot of me back and forth, just negotiating the contract on my own before I ever took it to a lawyer to have them go look at it. And it was based on reading lots of stuff off the internet. Very nice. Now, healthcare was a kind of a <laughs> through a loop with um, the Affordable Care Act and everything starting out. A lot of places where all the healthcare places that I called up and tried to talk to were very swamped with with trying to figure out all the changes coming through. And myself, I felt very overwhelmed at first. I thought, I'm just going to go do this healthcare. I'm just going to go buy some insurance and move on. And I found out exactly how much goes into insurance and I ended up going and getting a broker who shops around for me. And that was probably the best idea. I wish I had done that day one because I went a month with absolutely no insurance. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did. The issue that I ran into, though, was that the insurance company was so backlogged that it took them two months to process my application. Oh, man. Wow. So I have insurance now, but I didn't a couple of weeks. Well, technically... It started February 1st, but I didn't actually have insurance cards or anything until about a week and a half ago. Wow. Yeah, I think the nice thing is that when you leave your job, you know, you can, what is they call it, Cobra? Yeah. So you can, you don't actually have to buy Cobra right away. You have up to 30 days to go purchase Cobra back to the beginning. So you can be out of work and just not go get insurance. But if something happens to you, you can then go get Cobra, like before you go to the doctor. Pretty yeah, quickly. That's what I did when I, when I got laid off for my last job, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I didn't think about, I don't know if you guys did, was like life insurance. Yeah, yeah working we, on that. We had life insurance back when I was employed and we were able to keep it. Oh, that's nice. I was yeah. not. And yeah, we I, didn't I, have it either. So we just recently, I guess two years ago, got it. So I'd already been running the business for two years at that point. I never had life insurance until I guess it was about three, four years ago, maybe a little longer. Yeah, it must have been longer. Maybe five, six years ago, we decided it was probably time for me to sign up for all sorts of sort of the Israeli equivalent of, I guess, an IRA and other sorts of things for retirement accounts. It works differently, obviously, but the same sort of idea. And uh, so we went to the bank and talked to the person there. And he said, well, do you have life insurance? And I said, oh, no. He said, well, and, and he never said, well, you really should get it in case you drop dead and your family needs the money, right? So he kept saying, well, if the worst thing ever were to happen, and if the worst thing ever were to happen, like he kept repeating this phrase, literally the next week I walked past the bank and there was a death notice. The guy had dropped dead. <laughs> the guy who we had spoken to. Oh, wow. oh my um, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
Did he have life insurance? I, I, I hope he had good life insurance, <laughs> but we, we definitely signed up. Yes. And for me, I always had, so I started out from high school. I joined the military and was in the national guard for 13 years. And at the same time that I was getting out of the national guard is also when I moved over to freelancing. So I lost my work insurance from the national, my work life insurance from national guard and work life insurance from my employer at the same time. And I had never even thought about it. And it was somebody else who came to me about the same time and said, Hey, have you ever thought about life insurance? And I was like, well, I had some, but you know, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm okay. And like, well, what happens if you get hit by a bus tomorrow and you have three kids and, and my wife, she used to be a high school English teacher and she decided she wanted to stay home. Like she'll have to go back to work. And I don't know if you know much about high school teachers, but salaries aren't great. Um, so I was like, oh yeah, I never thought about all that and started looking into how much I should get. So I tried to do 10 years worth of what my salary had been before I went freelancing. Yeah. The way we worked it out is for my wife, she would we'd get interest if we invested the money for about 40,000 a year, which would pay for daycare for my kids. And for me, we have uh, enough that would replace my income at like 70,000 a year so that she would not have to change anything necessarily. I think that's kind of a good thing to go for. It's nice to have that ability not to worry about what's going to happen to my kids in my house and my wife if something happens to me. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's an Israeli thing or if this is standard around the world or maybe in the U.S., Canada. But when we bought our house, part of the condition for getting a mortgage was that we take out life insurance on it. So that if something happens to one of us, it'll pay for the house and that'll be paid back. Yeah, heard of it, that it was not in Canada, but you could pay like ridiculously high amounts to get an insurance on your mortgage, which we did at the time and then canceled now that our life insurance would cover it. Yeah, I've heard of mortgage companies requiring that if like you're self-employed or you have a small business, because if it's all of the income in the house is resting on this risky business, they want extra coverage. And I've heard of that before. It's like an extra stipulation, um, but it's in the U.S. too. Yeah, they may have done that here, but like when we got our mortgage, we were both employed. So I was not running my business yet because we've had the house for seven years. So Yeah, my problem is is that I have type 2 diabetes and I haven't been able to get my numbers all the way to where they want them in order to get term life insurance. So I've got I've got a very poor whole life insurance policy because that's all I could get. But yeah, it's definitely something that I'm working on to get better coverage because like you guys are saying, I mean, I'd love to be able to get to the point where it's like, look, you know, there's 10 times my salary or whatever in there or 10 times what I make with my business. So yeah, if something happens, you know, my wife can just take care of things at least for oh, quite a while. Yeah, we lucked out um, right after we got married. My father-in-law is actually like a financial services broker. So he can do life insurance, investments, all that. And so he sat down with us and basically figured out how much we'd need and set us up on a inexpensive plan and it kind of will grow with us. I think Tom about 50-ish or something. Um, and the idea is by that point, you don't need it anymore. But he kind of explained a lot of that to us. And that's where I get a lot of my personal finance was from him and books he had me read. Oh, that's good. So does everybody have term insurance? Yeah. Term life? Uh, Except for Charles? I I don't know what's... I mean, I I might... I mean, I have... I know I have a life insurance policy because of the mortgage that's required. And then we have this other life insurance policy that's separate that I got. But I'm not sure what you would call it. If it just goes away after so many years then it's term. If they're trying to sell it to you as an investment vehicle, then it's whole life. That's the difference. There are some other nuanced things, but... I see. No, no, no. I'm I'm going to be paying for a while. 
forever, so far as I know. And I think then, I think you can take it out as an investment at like, I forget exactly what age, but you can either take it as a lump sum at 60, 65, something like that, or you can get a a monthly, I don't know, stipend, monthly payment from it forever. Yeah, that's Holden. I mean, the basic idea is term is you pay money and it's like car insurance. Like you hope you don't die, but if you do, they pay you money. Mm-hmm. And after so many years, the policy expires because the ideal is, you know, by the time you're 50, 60, whatever, you have your own savings retirement account. And if you die, you have that money to pay for burial expenses and for your spouse or children. Whole is basically term plus like a savings account slash investment account. But um, at least from what I've read, I mean, you, you're better off just getting term in a savings account or a CD. Like whole yeah. life insurance can be pretty bad as far as investment returns. Well, most of the time, at least in the U.S., my understanding is that they keep any of the interest, right? You just get the money you put in, not anything it earned necessarily. Yeah, something like that. Like, I mean, it rolls into it. So basically, instead of, say, in term, maybe you pay 100 bucks a month. With whole, you pay 100 bucks a month plus another 100, and that 100 goes into like the savings portion. And then eventually that savings portion pays the 100 for your insurance portion. But there's so many fees and stuff. And I mean, the, the idea is like, oh, when you reach 60 you can cash out your whole life insurance and get your savings but when you compare that to like investing in stocks and an ira over that time it's just like a penny versus a hundred thousand yeah, dollars it's it's pretty abysmal the only reason that i have it is because i want something there in case something happens yeah i mean you might not qualify for term well the, the, the nice thing about that is if if you aren't necessarily great at saving your own money it kind of forces you to save it yeah i mean that's an argument. I mean, it's like I said, my father-in-law kind of taught us and their their company policy, they don't sell whole at all. And the, they have reams of documentation about how it's bad for the consumer. But yeah, it is kind of a forced savings, but you can do that just by setting up an automatic transfer from a savings account to a checking account. Yeah, I, I went and got term two and ended up, you know, they offered me 20 or 30 year. And I went ahead and took 30 because I started looking at, at rates. If I, when I turn in 20 years, I would be 52. So at rates whenever I turn 52 are so gigantically high that I thought I'll just go ahead and, and get 30 now at, while I'm at this younger age. Yeah, it's statistics. I mean, it's, you know, you have an X percent chance of dying at this age and it goes up over time. And I mean, that's how you do it. I actually looked at our policy, I think last week and the rate we pay, which is kind of how much risk we're at, very low risk is low, low, low. And then I don't remember at what year it just, it, it like, the premium pretty much doubles in a year's time and it just goes skyrocketing from there. And that's where they say like around this time, you pretty much should have savings and you can kind of drop the insurance plan. Based on my brother-in-law's advice, uh, we found someone, we went to someone who is an expert in pension planning, insurance planning, all this stuff. And it's still quite a blur for me. He gives a whole lot of homework to do, but basically my wife had a whole lot of different pension programs that she had been in from different places she had worked at. I don't think it was insurance, but it's also wrapped up together in Israel, like pension insurance and so forth, because the pension companies also do the insurance as part of the deal. And it's just super complicated. And I found that going to someone who then he said, I'll go on your behalf and call up the insurance companies, the pension companies and negotiate lower rates so that you're not just losing out on all the interest, but you're actually getting some of that as well. So we have to follow up with it, but I would definitely recommend if, if people out there are like me and have no idea how this works, uh, going to someone who actually knows and can help you uh, can save you a lot of money or more than pay for itself. And time. <laughs> yes, and time and time, not not the lump sum, right? I think that's okay. the biggest thing that I've learned since going freelancing is that 
sometimes it's okay to go pay somebody else because it's going to take a lot of your time to figure it out. And you have more important things to work on now that you might not have had to deal with when you were an employee. Yeah. And it's also the case of, I mean, it's, it's also, you know, when you're doing freelance, someone's paying you X amount of dollars to do something. I mean, they might be able to learn it and do it themselves, but by paying you, you're the professional, you know what you're doing. You're going to do a better job, going to do it faster, all that. It's the same thing. If you talk to someone who knows and lives and breathes insurance, they're probably going to do a better job per hour of their time than you will. Yep. And you don't really pay them per hour either, right? They get a kickback from the insurance company once you select an insurance policy. Well, there's so different you, types. The, the guy we went to actually is not like that. We pay him, and it's oh, a flat okay. fee. But I think most other, what do you call it? I, I think it's commission. Like pension. No, no, no. They're pension consultants, and he found that he wasn't allowed to call himself a consultant in that because that would mean that he was getting paid a percentage. So I think he calls himself like a pension architect, and that allows him to get out of that semantics. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, for for the insurance here, I mean, we just went to, there's a financial planner out here. Somebody mentioned Dave Ramsey before. It's their ELP out here. The I don't even remember what that stands for. But anyway. Endorsed local provider. There you go. There you go. Are you guys all Dave Ramsey people? <laughs> uh, I am. I'm a fan. <laughs> that's, that's how I got to the, the, I'm not running anything with debt, and it's been fantastic. Yep. Agreed. We did our debt payoff a couple of years back now. It's been excellent. I, yeah, we're I have on ours. one student loan and my house left, and the student loan will be paid off this month. Very nice. But anyway, so um, I just went to them. They're not – one thing that you'll find is that some insurance agents are – they only sell one company's insurance. The local provider out here, they sell a couple of different companies, and so they were able to shop around and find us a deal on our health insurance and on our auto insurance, on all kinds of stuff. You know, they helped me roll over a 401k from a company I worked for into a, an IRA. I mean, they've done all kinds of stuff for me. And, you know, that that's the kind of person that I would look for. And even just for insurance, find somebody that's not stuck with just one insurance company. Because what they're doing then is they're trying to sell whichever product makes them the most commission instead of shopping around and figuring out what works maybe best for you. Well, I mean, it's just like freelancing. I mean, if, if all you know is Ruby on Rails, that's what you're going to provide as a solution. But if you know Rails, Erlang, PHP, JavaScript, all those, you might be able to say, well, we could do it in Rails, but it might be better to do it in PHP or something. You know, they have, there's more tools in their toolkit. And I don't remember if there's, I don't know if there's legalities around it, but typically if you look for a broker, brokers are usually third parties and they can, they, they usually have a larger net they can shop around in, but there might be some where they are a broker, but they only signed up with one person. So how did you find the people who are working for you, Amos? So one of them is my brother-in-law, and then one lives down the road from me, and he was going to school for computer science. And while he was going to school, he would just show up at my office every day and sit down and watch me work or ask if he could pair with me for free for long enough that I saw what he was doing and his code. So when I started going out on my own, he had already been working with me a little bit. And then one of them was a team member on a team that I managed at my previous employer. Ah, uh, you poached somebody, huh? Uh, yeah. You know, I had been away from the previous employer for six months because there was another employer in between. Whenever I first said, I, I'm tired of driving 108 miles every day, there was another guy who said, hey, I'll hire you to work remotely. And um, so I, there was a six-month period where I was working remote for this other company. Very nice. 
And so I didn't poach immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I tried, I tried to take the whole team that used to work with me because they were pretty fantastic, but that didn't work. I also do a podcast with my old CTO at that company. So I hope he doesn't listen and, and yell at me for poaching his people. (laughs) (laughs) Which podcast is that? Uh, this agile life. Oh, okay. Uh, I think that uh, you met one of our hosts out in Vegas. Yeah, I did. I met him at uh, New Media Expo in January. Yeah, John. Yep. Yeah, so I've, we've been doing that podcast. That's how we started it, was we all actually worked at the same company. And then now we're at different companies, but we still do the podcast every week. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm sort of curious to know how you manage these subcontractors. Um, not legally, but like management-wise, do you find that you're spending a lot of time doing management as opposed to development? And is this what you wanted to do as a freelancer? Part of me kind of wants to do that kind of thing because I would like to actually start more than just freelancing. Maybe at some point make like a a product and have a few people. But I love to code and I never want to stop. So what worked out for me is I'm doing a lot of team augmentation right now. So those subcontractors that are working with me on that team augmentation, I don't really manage their day to day. The team lead for that company kind of manages their, what he needs them to do and tells them, Hey, these are, these are the things that I need done. And I just kind of continue to work on the things that I need done. And so I kind of have the best of both worlds. Like I have these guys working with me, but I don't have to deal with them day in and day out just every once in a while. The biggest thing is doing billing. Like I bill for them and then pay them. That's really the only overhead that I have. How are you normally billing? Like hourly or is it monthly, weekly? I'm billing hourly. I would really like to go to like a day. Like you can have me for a day for this price. But that's it seems to be kind of hard to sell to people. Uh, I try to point out to them that a lot of times I work more than eight hours a day just because I absolutely love what I do. So in the long run, it would be cheaper, but it allows me to, even if I have multiple clients, I can, I can focus. You have me for this day. Nobody else am I going to work on because when I get up in the morning and when I go to bed at night, I'm still thinking about your problem. I don't think any thought based job is really a nine to five job. You know, it's, and so I, I would like to go to daily billing personally. Interesting. We, we did, we had a long discussion about weekly billing, which is also. Which is how I bill and have for a while now. Yep. Love it. So so how do you get a customer to accept that? I tell them that's how I bill if they want to work with me. There are no other options. But I guess that works. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that it. was the biggest transition that I made to switch that type of billing. I think Eric, months and months ago at this point, said, so how did you present it? And I said, well, I said, hey, you can do this or you can do this or you can do this. And he said, why? Great question. I adjusted the estimate that went out that day and that was the end of it. So yep. it was, nice. it sounds pretty straightforward, but I have talked to a few people that have making transition to say weekly or hourly or sorry, uh, daily or weekly. And it's, how did you do it? I just, there's no options. That's the option. And they said, Oh, okay. And a few people have been able to transition by just not offering options. I, um, did have kind of a similar thing with fixed bid is I have an electric company locally that needs some monitoring software done to monitor their power stations. And they wanted me to come up with a big fixed bid estimate. And I mean, I just said that I do an agile podcast. I was like, um, no, I'm not doing that. And that, that did work. I just never, 
even applied that further to changing how I bill to be weekly or daily or whatever. Yeah, and weekly is just one week sprints essentially, right? That's how we how I think of it typically. Yeah. So do you have multiple clients at the same time where you work for one one week and another the next week? Or is it usually a longer term thing? Uh, most of my clients are three-week projects. That's my average. And in the past, I've done it where I would have two or three clients and they would be staggering out for like a year or so. So each month a client gets a week and that kind of gives them a week of you know intense action and then a couple of weeks to kind of recover from it. Man, you make it sound rough. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't, I've explained before. I mean, I, before I start working, I want to make sure the client has everything they need for me. You know, so if they have to get me designs or think through stuff like that has to be done before the week starts. Mm-hmm. And it's like Monday and Friday have kind of, you know, an hour, maybe two hours or longer meetings of, you know, what happened last time? Or is it ready to launch? We've launched it. Here's what's done. You know, the, the big retrospective stuff. And it's, I mean, they, they have to kind of put stuff aside and it's like, full on with me for that week. But they also get a ton of results in that time. And so they can kind of focus work with me and then kind of ignore me for the rest of the month. Right. That makes sense. Especially in the sense that if you were working on something like Redmine or something, they could integrate the changes and get used to them and then figure out what they want changed next. Yeah. Or they, I mean, a lot of times they would like I'd finish the features in a week and then they would spend the next few weeks to kind of try it out in a semi-live environment, see if it works for them. And then the next month they'd come back and say, okay, well, it worked for us except for these tiny bits and they'd make tweaks. So you have like this, it's almost like this big release and then you kind of have a little bit of cleanup work afterwards. Yeah, and the biggest thing for me with getting into the weeks was no context switching because I am terrible at context switching between multiple clients in a day. I just can't even do it, so I don't. Yeah, in a day is hard. I think during the week, if you wake up the next day and know you're going to be working on the next client's stuff, that's a little bit easier on you. Yeah, maybe for you. I hate it. So that's why I just do <laughs> weekly. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I could do multiple clients in a single day. Like, my brain would just be mush. Yep. I have another yeah. question. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but you mentioned that you rented an office. Yes. Um, How, how does that work? Because that's something that I've looked at doing. I, I like working from home, but it'd be nice to have some place where it's just like, I'm going to the office. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be here anymore. <laughs> yeah, so I actually, there's a building here that I'm in that has an accountant, some guys that sell um, some plumbing equipment. Uh, there's a civil engineer, a newspaper, and a chiropractor. And the fantastic thing about it is it's semi like a co-working space that you would find in the city, except for everybody has a private office. So I pay a lot less for the office. It includes Internet. And I have this whole group of people out here that are mostly small businesses. And I can go talk to them and say, hey, that's how I dealt with my accounting this year is I didn't really know what to do. And I went over the chiropractor and was like, hey, you guys, uh, how do you deal with your accounting stuff? And so it's like a little support group in an office and it's three miles from my house, which that helps me with, I guess, the context, which, like I said, I love my job. When my wife is busy and my kids are asleep, I start programming again. And so for me to be able to separate my work life from my home life is really, really important. Yeah, I I, I kind of wonder if I would get more done if I did that. I mean, it seems like I'm getting more and more distracted by the stuff at home. And I think my wife would cry if I went and worked in an office, though. <laughs> the kitchen is way too close for me uh, when I'm sitting at home. 
Like there, if it snows really bad and I can't make it to the office, it's happened a few times. I will work from home, but I am way less productive. I don't even charge for my full time. I might work eight hours and charge for six that day because I know that there's a little time that I might have been distracted and I would rather undercharge than overcharge. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I will get up and go get a drink of water. And then when I'm in there, I'm talking to my wife for a minute. And so, yeah, it just doesn't work out for me. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Yeah, the benefit for me has always been, you know, my wife yelling up, hey, your, our daughter has just started to walk. Come see it. So I don't did not miss first steps really for our first daughter and hopefully won't miss them for a second daughter either. That's pretty awesome. Right. That's definitely the upside of, of being at home that you can take those breaks or be involved in your, your kids' lives or just have family life. And the downside is, well, you're distracted by your family life and the things that are there. And, oh, I really, I'll just take a few minutes to do the dishes. I'll just take a few minutes and look at the newspaper. And pretty soon the, the day is gone or it can be if you're not disciplined. I think my biggest issue comes to down to the fact that my wife is used to me being here. And so she'll she'll come in. She comes in two or three times a day. Well, because my office is only like three or four miles away, my wife has no problem coming and talking to me or asking me to go do something. So I, I tried to get an office that was close for that reason. Mm-hmm. Not that my town is big enough to even make a difference. I can be all the way on the other side of town. It would still take 10 minutes to get there. But having that separation, I think, was really important from going to where I was gone eight, nine, ten, twelve hours a day with eight hours of work and four hours of commuting to I only have three mile commute and I control my time a little more. So my wife is like, oh, can you run to the grocery store? Can you do this? And I think that it would be even worse if I was set at home. Have, have any of you guys ever considered a co-working space or, or are, are there such things near where you are? Because there's one that opened relatively near me, but it's like, I don't know, about a 10, 15 minute drive and we only have one car. So and typically, like, I, I wouldn't have the car if my wife is working that day outside the house. So it'd be a pain to get to. And also, I'm just not convinced I can. It, it's worth the money because if no one's at home during the day until my kids get back, then well, I might as well just work on my own. I had one for a while. It was the next town over. So that's like a 40 kilometer trip for me. And I went there a few times. The biggest thing that I found there is that like I put my headphones on and be working and uh, like one person specifically would still come up and monopolize all my time. And so I'd look at the end of the day and be like, I did nothing all day, but I helped him build his stuff, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) I I could see that. Um, I've considered starting one out here, but I have some other things going on that I would use the space for as well. So, yeah, I mean like what, what you described here is where you help. Well, I mean, you help this other guy. My impression is that the, the upside of these co-working spaces is that you're with other you know, techie types. And so you can exchange information and ideas and help each other. But right. If you're just trying to sort of put your head down and get a lot of work done, it's not necessarily that useful. I talked to my wife about starting one here in the town over from us. There isn't one, but there's the college and there's a, a couple of, um, small programming, like I want to say satellite locations from the cities that, that they have around the college where they hire a lot of college students. And I thought that a co-working space would be nice, but I, I think I would want one that still had like, you have like a private room that you and maybe enough room for a couple other people for like your team could go and work so that nobody could bug you. Even if you had your headphones on, you could just shut the door. 
but have that open space where you could go out and be with people who are going through the same struggles as you whenever you need a break so you can go talk to them about it. Yeah, that's kind of the idea that I've had where, yeah, you have a big open space. It's kind of the general purpose. You know, everybody can go use that space. And then the folks that really want it, they can actually go and pay for, a, you know, a private office and then they can basically do whatever they want to in there and then just have a few other facilities like a conference room and a maybe a separate training room or something. I just want a barista. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was about two weeks ago. I need to get some things done. And uh, it was the morning and my wife was going to be around. I said, you know, I just need to need to really concentrate. I went to our local public library, which is about a five minute walk from my house. And there was a room in there and they have Wi-Fi there. And there's a room with other people working on computers. And I actually felt incredibly you know, effective because basically everyone's there working their computers. It's incredibly quiet. And so I wasn't distracted by things in the house. And I felt this sort of subtle, quiet peer pressure. Ooh, I better be efficient. I better actually get work done. So that's sort yeah. of a, you know, a, a free version of that, I guess. I go to Starbucks twice a week at 6 a.m. and work till lunch, basically. And that usually I'm focused enough in that time twice a week that I do uh, like a whole day's worth of typical work, right? A whole day's worth of billable hours before lunch. And then I clean up a few things after lunch and cut my day at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 yeah, I've done and, that too. Where I just there's a restaurant over here that has Wi-Fi and booths, plenty of room. They're almost never full, and so uh, yeah, I'll just go park there for a few hours. I actually budget for it like my rent, so I top up a Starbucks card every month with essentially my rent with, to go to Starbucks for work stuff. That's an idea. Wait, is, oh, is it? Still, I'm doing that. Is, <laughs> is it still cheaper though to go to Starbucks for that many hours? I don't know how much you buy there. As I spend seventy five dollars a month Starbucks. Max. Okay, that's a pretty. That's cheap how much there is. So yeah, I camp out in one corner and it's fine. So it's not. It's kind of off to the side a bit and my back to everyone and looking out the window so I can see the road and I have a good set of headphones that block out a lot of noise. Yeah, I try to. One of one of my subcontractors actually um, splits office rent with me now because he lives so close to me. He's like, hey, can I just come and work with you so I can get out of the house once in a while too? And so when he's not here. Like, I really, I don't know if I, if I could handle the library. That's, like, too silent for me. I actually go to a website called Coffitivity that just sounds like a coffee shop in the background. <laughs> awesome. And I will turn that on if I'm here by myself. Or there there is a coffee shop in the next town over, too, that I will go to once in a while. But I, I am writing down that I need to get a card that I just refill every month because I'm always afraid to go there because I'm afraid I'll just spend and spend and spend money on coffee. Well, that separates out the business expenses too, right? I don't keep every receipt. I just spend off for the business off this one card and anything. Time I go else, any time outside I go, I just pay with my own cash for something. That's true. So you just have one receipt for that card, yep. right? One receipt a month for, for 75 bucks. You know, sometimes I've got to the end of the month. So last month or January when we had our new baby, I got to the end of January and I was like, I've got like $65 because I was you know doing baby stuff, not working all the time. That's yeah, a tracking. big coffee. <laughs> Yeah, one sixty-five dollar coffee. Just I don't know. Put gold flakes in it for me. <laughs> yeah, I I think that that has been kind of a pain for me too. Is remembering to well, receipts aren't too horrible because I just jam them in my pocket till later. But uh, remembering whenever I'm traveling in my car for business to track my mileage and things like that is like I forget all the time, and I don't know how much money I'm leaving behind by doing that. Well, because I ride my bike so much, instead of the car, I even track my bike mileage and ride off a portion of my bicycle. 
every year. Oh, nice. Use it for work, right? I Just like I would a car to travel to places for work. So, so are there any other uh, things that you struggled with when you were getting started? I think that I, I mentioned accounting and talking to the uh, people across the hall. I, I think it's important whenever you're starting out to find like-minded people. They don't necessarily have to be developers, but just small business people who have been through some of the struggles of small business are are great to have around. And they they pointed me in the right directions with accounting about. So I don't know how you guys deal with it. I kind of put myself on almost a, a salary and I keep some of the money in the business and I pay myself. And then, yeah. and then I, every time I pay myself, I take money, more money and place it into a savings account for taxes based on however much I pull out to pay myself. And that has dramatically helped me because that was the big thing was the first day that I went in and talked to an accountant. I had been paranoid about taxes anyway. So I like wasn't spending anything. Um, <laughs> And when I, when they told me how much that check was, that first check I had to write, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> like, how much? I need to start saving for this next year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been stuck not saving for taxes. Now I save 30% of every invoice that comes through and I just normalize it by paying myself a salary monthly. Yeah. That's what, that's what I did. Do you find that that 30% is too much or too little? Cause I went with 25. Uh, that's what my accountant suggested, but I don't know. 25 should be enough for me in Canada, but 5% is cushion. So say you jump a tax bracket, you just say, eh, it doesn't matter because I've got an extra 5% for the last two years running just sitting in an account, right? Or if no, the worst true. happens, it's like extra cushion. So I just save 30% all the time and round up. So if it was like $775, I just save 800. And say I do 35 and we used to have extra cash in there and that would be like a, a you know end of the year bonus because you can get tax deductions based on how you did it. But this year, thirty five wasn't enough, and so I might actually crank it up to forty or more. Uh, I think it's just you know stuff in the U.S. has changed in tax wise, and there's a couple uh, like self employment tax. I think there's a tax break going on for a few years, and so basically from that it jumped up two percent automatically for everyone who's self employed as of I think last year. Yeah, in Canada, I'll incorporate this year, which will drop my tax rate to 19% on all business money. And then anything I pay, I'd still pay 25%, but I'll be an employee of my own business at that point. But would you get double taxed? Uh, I don't believe so, but I would have to confirm with my accountant. I talked to two accountants. They both said that's the right way to do it. So, Yeah, because that's in the U.S., that's a problem we have is if you have an actual corporation, you might pay corporate tax on stuff. And be required to take all the money out. And then you pay personal tax because it's an income. It's a salary as an employee. So, yeah, I mean, taxes are hard. I mean, I think 30 to 35% of your your gross revenue, so like what you bring in on an invoice, is kind of a good cushion. But I, I have that in combination with a large emergency fund, which we're going to be using for last year just because it was such a big hit. Yeah, we. I definitely have that issue where I have a company, like I've an incorporated business. And so the business pays taxes. And then I, I pay myself a salary and I pay taxes on that. And we try to keep the company's profits low so that the taxes are low each year. Um, and last year, actually, the company was fairly profitable. So what we did was we're, we're trying to now hurry up the tax report for last year. So I had to pay a fair amount. And I don't know what's like elsewhere, but like in Israel, you can spread the payments out. So I gave the government 10 checks, post-dated checks, so they can take that in my account every month. And basically, we're going to try in the next few weeks to do my taxes for 2013. And then that'll reduce those checks by a lot. And I'll just write them new, smaller checks. Yeah, this year I had to pay quarterly. So I've already paid like double 
triple what I paid last year in taxes. And then I'll see what comes out. There'll probably be a little that I owe still uh, when we do our taxes in the next month. Yeah. And I mean, this it goes back to the advice. Find a good accountant because my first year I didn't and just, I'll just pay taxes at the end of the year and have an accountant help me with that. And because I didn't do quarterly, I got hit with tax uh, tax penalty payments, fees, a whole bunch of stuff. Because I didn't know you're supposed to send checks, and you're it. They are in the U.S. There's a pretty complex schedule of you have to spend send this much in, so you don't get hit with a fee at the end of the year. Yeah, I I got hit with a little one because I didn't do it in time. So in the U.S., you know, one of the quarterly payments is September 15th, and that's for August. And I started August 24th, so I actually got paid in August, and didn't think that I was going to need to actually pay quarterly taxes on that. And then mm. the government complained. And now it wasn't much. It was very little. But, you know, I'll, I'll pay the IRS an awful lot of money just to leave me alone. All right. Well, is there anything else that we should talk about before we start wrapping up the show? I'm curious, Amos. I mean, it sounds like you've got a great thing going with you and your subcontractors and your current client. Are you thinking ahead at all and looking at talking to potential other clients? Or are you sort of figuring when this gig ends, you'll just look around and find something else and it'll take, if it takes a while, then that's okay. So I, I have been talking to other clients. Most of them are not as big as this client. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier that I'm talking to an electric company, uh, have not finalized a contract with them, but I, I was able to push back on the, I'm not doing fixed bid for this, but that'll be one day a week and probably a pretty short contract. I, I imagine that it'll probably be like a month of a day a week just because what they need is is so tiny but yeah i i am starting to look around and that's also why i told my client that i could only do 32 hours is because i knew going into this that i would need overhead of time to look for other contracts and just build who i am out in the world so that people know to look for me uh, one thing that i haven't done yet is built a website <laughs> for myself because i find that the word of mouth stuff is has been going around well enough that I don't need to. But yeah, yeah I, I, I am looking around. Although part of running a business with no debt is that hopefully I do have a little more time that I could spend between clients if I feel like being picky. Yep. Makes sense. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks. Ruben, you want to start us the picks? Uh, sure. Uh, this week has been a lot of digging in. I know you'll all be surprised to hear this. A lot of digging in on dissertation, writing, 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 and a lot of editing. Um, and so two of the tools I've been using a lot. I know that I have, yes, yes, yes. Uh, you guys can all be sarcastic in the back channel telling me to suggest Mosh once again. I am actually going to pick something again, which is Postgres, just because I've been using it so much for my data analysis. And it's just such a pleasure to be able to pull my data out in all sorts of ways. And I've also been using, uh, I don't think I've picked before, uh, R. Uh, and R is just this great language for <laughs> this great language for statistical analysis. And it's just super easy to use, especially if you don't know a lot about statistics uh, like me. I've only taken uh, like I don't know, two quarters of it, but great language, enormous number of packages, great graphics, definitely makes life life easy for anyone needing to pull stuff out. So uh, and you can even combine the two. R is one of the languages that you can stick inside of Postgres. So if you want to uh, do statistical analysis of information you got in tables, you can do that as well. So anyway, that, that's it for this week. Awesome. Curtis, what are your picks? Got one. A friend of mine has started writing a site called 40 Mantras. And it's the 40 Mantras that he operates by as he's run software development teams for the last, I think it's like 15 or 20 years now. Um, everything from 
he was working in nuclear plants, old nuclear plants on stuff, software for those to more I guess, traditional software like we develop now. They're quite interesting short posts. Awesome. Eric, what are your picks? All right, so I got one pick today. It's a blog post called What's Controlling You? Uh, it's interesting because it's about technology in the modern life and how you know we're basically on our smartphones almost all the time. So it's a pretty interesting, um, interesting thing to think about, especially if you have a smartphone addiction like I do. Cool. All right, I've got a pick. I just finished reading So Good They Can't Ignore You. Um, it's a book by Cal Newport, and it basically outlines his study into people who have jobs that they're passionate about and what they're, that they love doing. And it was really interesting because he, he really kind of debunks the passion hypothesis for finding a job. You know, go, you know, go, go to where your passion is and instead talks about what kinds of things people do in order to wind up in positions that they enjoy. So it was really interesting. And at first I listened to it on Audible. And, uh, at first when I was listening to it, I was really, I was really kind of, uh, down on the book because I was, I really kind of subscribed to the passion hypothesis, but as he continued to explain where he was coming from and where different people come from in order to be in the place where they love their job, it really kind of mirrored my path into programming and, and how I wound up doing something that I really enjoy. So so I'm going to pick that book. Amos, what are your picks? Uh, I, I just have one. I've... I haven't read the whole book, but I'm reading The Psychology of Computer Programming by Gerald Weinberg, and it's just been fantastic. It was written, I don't remember what year, sometime 71, I believe, and is still being printed today. I got it on my Kindle, and it's about people and programming, and I think that we often forget that our jobs are more about people than they are about technology sometimes. And he just has some, some really good insightful things in there. And I think that um, it's worth, worth looking into. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming, Amos. Thank you. Really appreciate you taking the time. I don't think we have any announcements, so uh, we'll wrap up and uh, we'll catch you on next week.